This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalms, chapter 96. We will begin on page 499 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, New City. Okay, with the number of people here, you should be louder. Good morning, New City. All right. My name is Ryan Zhang, one of the pastors here. Welcome to the first week of Advent. If you're visiting families from out of town, we're especially glad you could join us this morning. Looks like you're all alert and awake from all your Thanksgiving coma. Uh, Like the last three or four years, I had not one, not two, but three Thanksgiving meals this week. So that may explain why I look extra happy this morning. Now you may be a little bit surprised by our scripture reading this morning, Psalm 96. And that does not sound very much like Christmas. Where are the angels or shepherds or baby Jesus? Or as one Christmas classic says, you know, Santa Claus and ho ho ho, mistletoe and present for pretty girl. No, don't worry, I thought the same thing when I saw the sermon text. So Pastor Josh sets the preaching schedule and selects the text for all the sermons, and this caught me by surprise as well. And I was thinking about how to connect the psalm to Advent, one of the Sunday mornings when I was here, and I saw this mark on the floor, and it dawned on me, and everything began to come together. So just to test your memories, does anyone recognize what this is for? For COVID, right? This is one of the tape marks on the floor when we had to seat people six feet apart for social distancing. Remember that? Let's not do that again. Um, And I'm sure, you know, 500, 1,000 years from now, when archaeologists look at this tape mark, they will immediately understand, aha, there must have been a pandemic in this city. See this evidence of their social distancing. I'm exaggerating, I know. But when you look at this church building, you will no doubt recognize some of the marks of history. 
The cornerstone of the building says 1922. This is actually the 100th anniversary of the building. And perhaps from the woodwork in the sanctuary, you can recognize certain designs that were popular in a certain period of time. The coffee stain on the floor may remind you of some coffee spill there last week. The same thing for a city. If you go look at this, you see bullet holes or burn marks on the side of buildings. You could, it tells you that there was a war there. If you dig through some European cities or Asian cities, you can see different layers of civilization over the centuries. We can look at a place and see the marks of history. But can we look at a place and see what the future will look like? Well, it turns out, yes, we can. You may remember seeing this drawing in our Making Room campaign. You can see that in the comments. And we have not built extension to a building yet. But based on what our church building looks like right now, we know that the extension will have certain similar architectural designs. Now, you can recognize similar styles and colors. No responsible architect will recommend that we add a barn or a warehouse to the original building. So when we look at the building right now, this church building right now, we see the marks of history. We can also get a vision of what the future will look like at this corner of the neighborhood. And that's what the season of Advent is. Advent takes us into the past, to Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. But it also prepares us for the second Advent, to look forward to Jesus' coming, second coming, in the future. The day when Jesus would come back as king. And Psalm 96 helped us to, just, to, do, to do just that. So today we'll let Psalm 96 take us into the future. And then back to the past. And then to the future again. Okay? So for, let's first take a look at the future. Psalm 96 describes a joyous occasion. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. It's a happy psalm. It's not just like a new song like Taylor Swift's new album. It's written for a special occasion. There's no heading at the top of this psalm, but it's written when King David moved the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And we know this because it's quoted in 1 Chronicles 16, along with a few other psalms as the Israelites moved the Ark. And this psalm is most likely a new song written to celebrate the occasion. Now remember in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is the, the center of Israel's religious life because it represented the presence of God. God's throne is on the Ark. So when the Ark of the Covenant moves into the capital building, the capital city, God is taking his proper place among the people of God. Now other than the completion of the temple in Jerusalem, this is perhaps the second highest point in Israel's history. The Lord's in our midst. He reigns among us. And this is such a big deal that King David not only wrote new songs to celebrate it, he also led the parade by dancing shamelessly in front of everybody in the capital. So much so that his wife began to mock him. The Pastor Mike preached about this in our Second Samuel series a few months ago. I remember that sermon distinctly. Because the whole time I was hoping that Pastor Mike would break out dancing. It did not happen. It was an, it's a happy occasion. A new song for a new beginning in Israel's history. But the psalm seems to suggest something even more than that. 
Look at the scope of the celebration. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation day to day. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. In verse 11, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the few exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. To the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fields that, that covers all of God's created realms. In Genesis 1, the psalmist describing a worship that's all-inclusive, all people in all creation all the time. This is just not a new song for a new occasion. This song des- describes a new reality. It's a completely different world from the one we live in. Our Advent series is titled, A Weary World Rejoices. It's a line from O Holy Night. And we feel the weariness, don't we? Especially at the end of a year. Spend a year of war, a year of hurricanes, a year of inflation, and divisive elections, and the tragic earthquake in Indonesia this last week. In our own church family, some of, us, some of us lost family members. Some struggled with work. Some became sick and to go through major surgeries and treatments. We lost Emily McLean, a young member here in New City. We understand what a weary world feels like. We feel the weariness. But not this. We don't get this. When have you experienced a celebration like this? Worship by all people in all of creation all the time. Uh, never. It's never happened before. This is not the world we live in. This is all the worldly. And will a celebration like this ever happen? And if it does happen, when would it happen? And the psalm gives us an answer at the end, verse 13. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The worldwide worship like this will happen when God comes to judge the world. One commentator, Derek Kittner, describes this as irrepressible excitement at the prospect of God's coming. Now that's not the picture we typically associate with with final judgment, right? And why don't Google this week and I search final judgment, and these are the pictures that come up. Now we think of hell, not celebration. And these are the pictures that come up when I Google the word heaven. It's weird. It's not what I imagined heaven would be. But my point is, it's much less scary. But we can't have one without the other. No, they are the two sides of the same coin. And the psalm knows what the final judgment is really like. It's a good thing. It will be a joyous occasion because God will come to judge the evil and restore the world. It's worth rejoicing. Don't let your aversion toward the final judgment dampen the hope it gives us. So I like to use this example because I think about this all the time. Okay, Traffic cops. I don't like traffic cops, especially since I just got my first ever speeding ticket recently. 
I don't like traffic cops. But every time I see a reckless driver on the road or someone speeding down our street, I wish there was a traffic cop right there to catch them. Now, when someone cuts me off on the road, the, the most I can do is honk. Who cares about my honking? I feel so weakless and powerless. And yes, your pastor does honk. But oh boy, imagine if there's a traffic cop right there to catch them. How satisfying that would be, right? It would restore some sanity and safety to the world. And picture this happening on a cosmic scale. If the people who start wars will be punished, environmental disasters can somehow be averted. Economic policies would cause flourishing, not inflation. The world is governed by a benevolent ruler. No more bad guys in your neighborhood. The lions will lie down next to the lamb. Will you rejoice in that? The people of Israel see the presence of the ark as a foreshadow of that final judgment. Because they know that every time God shows up, everything will be all right. If, you could look forward to, if they could look forward to that, how much more so for us? And if you think this is just some wishful thinking, it's not. It's not. Because we already have a little glimpse for what that final restoration will look like. You know, it's a bit of a downer. When King David moved the ark into Jerusalem and it sits there in the tabernacle, in a tent. And finally his son, King Solomon, builds a temple for God in Jerusalem and moves the ark into the temple. And that was the highest point of Israel's national history. And God dwells in the midst of his people in the temple. And at the dedication service, King Solomon says something very true, but also very disappointing. He prayed this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Of course, Solomon recognized that God is so much bigger than the ark, so much bigger than the temple that he built. The temple is only a symbol of God's presence. God is not fully there. The question remains, will God ever come to dwell with his people fully? And Psalm 96 answers, yes, he will come at the end to judge the world and restore all things. But how do we know this will truly happen? Now we know because there was a time when God himself walked the earth. And he brought restoration and judgment to one small corner of the world. It's not cosmic in a scale, but it's at the beginning of it. And that's what we'll celebrate together in Advent. God came to the world as a man. Creation rejoiced at his singing. At his birth with singing, as you can hear. He compares himself to a king. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. He taught people what his kingdom will be like and how people can flourish in his kingdom. He pronounces blessings and curses on the people. He has restored people back to health. He cast out evil spirits and demons. He had the power to raise the dead. He even calmed the storm. And his disciples were frightened. Even the wind and the sea obey him. Everything happened in the first advent in that little nation of Israel shows what will eventually happen in the second advent in the whole world. The first advent has kicked off 
the second advent. But something seems to be missing. Where's that great judgment? There was a great judgment in the first advent. But in that first advent, the judgment fell on Jesus. The king that would come back to judge the world at the end is not some heartless tyrant eager to inflict suffering on all the people. The judge of the world suffered the judgment that is reserved for us. Now Jesus looked on God, took God's full wrath and judgment on the cross so that he could restore the people to God and to righteousness. Now in Christ, we've all been put to death. and We've all suffered the death penalty in him. So that when he rose again on the third day, he made us into a new creation. And notice I said the word made. I didn't say he will make. Because it already happened. Jesus already started the process of making us into a new creation. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. Now that's a little bit weird. Because he was still alive when he wrote this. He didn't die with Jesus. But then he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Your old nature is crucified with Jesus. You now live as a new creation in Christ. And more importantly, Christ is in you. His spirit is in you. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're the beginning of God's restoration. And the work he started in the first advent is continuing in us and through us. He will bring it to completion in the second advent. So now it's our mission to show the world what the final restoration will look like. The first advent has kicked off the second advent, and God has not stopped working in between. God is working through you because Christ is in you. The Christ church on earth has now become the foretaste of the final restoration. We show the world what the end will look like, and it's not weird. It's not up in the air. It's as concrete, as solid as your presence and your actions. So how do we do that? Well, let's go back to Psalm 96. Gives us a few suggestions. Verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. The psalm starts off with four commands. That's a great place for us to start. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation, declare his glory among the nations. There's the vertical praise toward God. There's the horizontal proclamation of his salvation to the nations. That's what we gather to do every Sunday, right? We sing and offer upward worship to God. and We proclaim the gospel to the people in our neighborhoods. That's also why we do world missions. Because we need to declare his glory to the nations. And that means use your voice, use your words. Sing aloud. And talk about Jesus with other people with words. I heard a story about a missionary in a Muslim country where the open sharing of the gospel is prohibited. So this missionary thought, I will use my action to show people how Christians can be different from the world. And maybe that will make some people curious about my faith. So he befriended a Muslim man, and after two years, the man didn't notice something strange about this missionary. 
So the Muslim, the Muslim man invited him over one night, late in his house, and the missionary was very excited because he thought, you know, finally I get to share about Jesus to this guy. He's going to ask me about him. And that night the man did pull the missionary aside and, and quietly ask him, are you a vegetarian? <laughs> but just actions are not enough. Sooner or later, we have to use our words. And I know it's awkward to start talking about faith and God with other people. So Psalm 96 gives us some suggestions, recommendations on how to talk to God, how to people, talk to people about God. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Now, what does the word ascribe mean? It means to give, to return. The pastor Josh always shares this story in our new members class. Now, Josh grew up casually around the church, and he was not very familiar with the Bible. So he thought that people's worship and prayers are like the crowd cheering, the noises, and the bangles game. The more people cheer, the more hyped up the athletes get, and they would pump their chest, and then they would charge the field and defeat the enemies. So Josh felt that, you know, the more he worships and prays, the more powerful God would get, and then that would give God the power to defeat his enemies. Maybe some of you still believe that about worship. But Psalm 96 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. The gift to God, the glory he deserves. He already possesses all the power and glory. He does not need your cheering. The question is, do we give him the proper recognition that he deserves? And I once saw an article online with the title, The Three Felonies That America's, the Americans Break Every Day. I think it's about some obscure internet laws that we break every day. But Christians know exactly what this means. We break laws every day, and not just three, but ten. It's called Ten Commandments. And one of the ways we break the Eighth Commandment is by stealing from God. We steal His glory, we steal His credit, we steal His goodness, and we make them our own, or we give them to worthless idols. But what if we actually give God the glory He deserves? Is the next time your coworkers compliment you on your generosity. Tell them how everything you have comes from God. Your talents, your education, your job opportunities, your families, even your money. Or you can talk about how a specific organization you give to do the works of final restoration. You give not just because they're doing good deeds. You give because their good deeds show us what the second advent will look like. The next time you're sharing a nice dinner with your friends, tell them how grateful you are that God has worked through your lives to put you guys together. And how this dinner party is not just a nice meal, but a foretaste of what the feast with Christ would look like at the end. The next time someone compliments your cooking, you share a little bit about how different spices and cultures come from. How God created different peoples to reflect the different dimensions of his glory that's why your food tastes so glorious. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And that may open up some conversations about God that you didn't think was possible before. And finally, three more things that we can show to, we can show what the final restoration will look like. 
First, justice and equity. Verse 10, the Lord reigns. He will judge the people with equity. Now, God cares about justice and equity. Jesus pronounced blessings on the poor and hung out with the lowly. He cursed the powerful and the wealthy. He threatens authorities that oppress people. And if you think that equity and justice is just some left-leaning democratic agenda, then you better get on board. Here's another left-leaning issue. Creation renewal. Verse 11. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the few exalt and everything in it. And think about this for a second. When God returns to judge the world, he's not just going to do away with all this creation. Creation will praise God along with us. They may even lead us in the singing. It's because of our disobedience to God that creation was put under a bondage. Look at how many environmental disasters in the last few decades are caused by man. But God called his creation good from the beginning. So good that he became part of it to save it. He will return to restore it. The evil will be vanquished. But the good will be made even better. Everything beautiful you see on earth will remain. I'm convinced that this building, this beautiful building here, will be at the end, will be there at the end. Without building extension, there'll be there will still be snow, and ocean, and forest, and maybe even volcanoes. There'll be music from Beethoven and Bach and Mahler, and maybe even Bono. If you want to show what the final restoration of the world will look like, the church needs to care about what the environment and the earth. Go plant another tree that will sing God's praises at the end. Protect the forest. Reduce your waste. The Christian's effort to care for the world should put all the modern climate control policies to shame. And lastly, diversity. Verse 10, sing among the nations, the Lord reigns. God's salvation and restoration is for all the peoples. And we hear this read many times during this Christmas season. Jesus is the light to the nations. What does that mean? Well, there are today many people of different nations and tribes and tongues gathering to worship God. But our church, but our churches often look like the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. What does the opening ceremony look like? Well, you know, in the opening ceremony, each country marches in solemnly, separately. And then an announcer introduces them in a very serious voice. Canada. <laughs> People's Republic of China. Uganda. But I think the final gathering of the nations and the people to worship God looks nothing like the opening ceremony. It will look more like the closing ceremony. See, in the closing ceremony of the Olympics, the athletes from different nations all run in together. Partying and dancing, that's what the end will look like. So let us start here. Honor those who are different from you. Make New City a place where your immigrant friends will feel at home. Well, here's an idea. This Christmas, take some time to learn about how some non-Western countries celebrate Christmas. Try doing that at home with your families. 
Maybe you learn something unexpected about Jesus in that process too. So last week, Pastor Brian shared this tweet with us, pastors. And let me just say up front, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's from an account on Twitter called Church Commission. And it reads, pastors, your periodic reminder. That guy who really, really wants to teach the eschatology class, Sunday school class, eschatology is the study of the end times, of the weird things at the end. Don't let him teach the eschatology Sunday school class. Well, too late. There's plenty of stuff about eschatology here today. And I'll be talking about eschatology a lot in my sermons. Because the first advent has already kicked off the second advent. And I said at the beginning, when you look at this church building, it can show people what this neighborhood looked like in the past. It can also show people what this neighborhood will look like in the future. A little bit more true about the people of this church. We can tell people what God has done for us in the past, how he redeemed us on the cross. And through our singing, our words, and our actions, we can show people what the future will look like when he comes back. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus, not only in the first coming when he came to redeem us on the cross, but the hope we have in the second coming, where he will come to restore us, to make us all new again, to make things all beautiful. And we pray that you would give us the strength and the reminder each day to give a glimpse to the world what the second coming will be all about. Let us be light in the darkness to show forth the final restoration that you have in mind and help us to celebrate this every week as we sing together. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.